Amen. Merry Christmas. It's a rare thing to uh, be in church on Christmas morning, and uh, even more rare, I would say, that we have a baptism on Christmas Day. Um, but what an appropriate thing. Um, Jesus came to seek and save the lost, amen? amen. And so his birth is um, the announcement of the entire gospel. Everything about who uh, Jesus came to be was announced in that initial um, coming of the Lord. And so uh, our songs, when we sing about the birth of Jesus, we actually uh, oftentimes will represent the entire gospel in the songs. I want you to listen to some of the lines from uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It says, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the newborn King, peace on earth, mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies with angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Amen. The whole gospel is presented in the birth of Christ. He came to be king, he came to be savior, he came to be Lord, he came to be Messiah, he came to be uh, your personal uh, friend, uh, your personal Lord and Savior. And um, as we celebrate Christmas, we are reminded of the fact that the, the angels announced this glorious coming of Christ and what that really meant in that moment um, is beyond anything that we could have imagined. So I want you to stand with me as we read God's word this morning. The angelic announcement to the shepherds. We're not going to focus on the shepherds. Oftentimes we do. We focus on the shepherds receiving the, the message, but uh, this morning we're going to focus on uh, the angel's announcement. It says, uh, this is Luke uh, 2, starting verse 8, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And Father, we thank you for your word as you have proclaimed it through your messengers, the angels, and then you call us <laughs> to be your messengers and uh, give us the same uh, opportunity, command, uh, the ability, Lord, to testify, witness, glorify you, lift you up, make you known, uh, make you known through our words, make you known through our lives, through our transformation, through the uh, forgiveness that we have in your name. Lord, we thank you for all those gifts and Lord, we celebrate that today on Christmas Day, that uh, this day we set apart every year to remember 
to rejoice, to celebrate that you sent your Savior to us. To us, a son was given. And Lord, we thank you for that uh, because it makes us sons and daughters, changes us and uh, makes us new creations. And Lord, uh, as we celebrate that today, I pray that we would hear the words, hear the message, hear the song of the angels. Uh, Let it resonate and help us to repeat it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. It is uh, a, I'm sure, a terrifying thing uh, to come into the presence of an angel. We see uh, in Scripture, almost every time that an angel appears to another human being, um, their first words are what? Fear not. Don't be afraid. Um, the, the, there is a, a rumor going around that there are 365 fear nots in the Bible. Um, out of those, I didn't do the, the, uh, the research, but I'm assuming that many of them uh, are because uh, somebody came into the presence of an angel, and the angel is so terrifying. In fact, in verse 9, it says, uh, when the uh, angel appeared, they were terrified. Now, a lot of the times... The thing about an angel is that they will appear in somewhat human form or human likeness. Uh, We see that throughout Scripture. And so uh, there's something about the the glory of the angel that is terrifying. But then we see some other Scriptures, um, such as Isaiah 6 and in Ezekiel, where the angels actually appear in really strange appearance. Okay, They, they look really weird. Um, in Isaiah, we have angels that are flying around with six wings. They have two that cover their face, two that cover their feet, and they fly with two others, and they have eyes all over their bodies. Okay, so they are, they're beyond really our conception of, of anything that we know of. Um, in Ezekiel, we see angels that appear with four different faces. And so they have all these wings, and they have all these eyeballs all over their bodies, and they're very, very strange creatures. And so to come into the presence of, a, of an angel is a terrifying uh, event. Now, the, the power or the glory of an angel, you just think about what angels can do. Um, in, in one night, an angel, a single angel, uh, put to death all the firstborn uh, sons in Egypt. Um, In a single night, one angel put to death 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. Um, In a a course of of, uh, just a short amount of time, uh, one angel put to death about 70,000 Israelites after David had sinned. Uh, An angel is powerful. Jesus says, I have the ability to call... uh, 10 legions or 12 legions of angels if I need them at my disposal at any given moment. He only needed one. So the glory of an angel is is this terrifying thing. And so every time that an angel appears, they say, fear not, don't worry, I'm not going to kill you. Because I think that's the, the sense that people have when they come into the presence of an angel. But here's the thing that's, I think, causing more terror than the angel. It says the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. The glory of the Lord came uh, on the temple as Solomon built it, and he dedicated it, and the glory filled uh, that temple. 
And the, the glory of the Lord was the power of God. It was the presence of God. It was the ability for the Israelites to understand and feel like they had everything they needed to succeed in, in life, to succeed in their relationship with God and as a nation, uh, to do everything that they were called to do. But then they uh, had this uh, situation where they did not trust in the presence and the power of God. They began to let their hearts get diverted to sinful things. They began to worship other gods. They began to disobey God. And uh, in, by the time we get to Ezekiel, the glory of the Lord is leaving the temple in the stages. You read through the first uh, 10 chapters of Ezekiel, and you see that the glory of God begins to depart. The, uh, the Israelites have already been conquered by the Babylonians and taken into exile, but in a few years, what's going to happen is that they will, the, the Babylonians are going to come and destroy Jerusalem. They're going to destroy the temple once and for all, but God's glory has already left. They rebuild the temple a hundred years later or so, and it never says that the glory of the Lord came back to the temple. We don't see the glory of the Lord reappear or present or manifest himself until Luke chapter 2. It was a, a terrifying thing to realize that the glory of the Lord has returned to Israel. And part of it is, are we really ready for this? Am I ready to be in the presence of the Lord? You pause and think about that for yourself for a moment. It is not a light thing to step into the presence of the living God. Something has to happen in you to make you ready for that. And I'm assuming the shepherds were terrified in this moment because the glory of the Lord is shining around them. And are they righteous enough? Are they ready? Are they prepared? Are they pure? Have they done the sacrifices? Have they made themselves presentable to the presence of the Lord? And you can only imagine the fear that would overcome them. But here's what the angel says. Don't be afraid. I'm bringing you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Here's how we're going to get ready for the glory of the Lord and the presence of God. It says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. There are three titles that we have here of Jesus. Okay, and Last week I read dozens of titles and names and, and offices that, that Jesus embodies. Okay, But here are three. He says that he is, first of all, Savior, then he's Christ, and then he's Lord. First of all, he is Savior. And what is he Savior of? He's a Savior of the world. He's a Savior of sinners. He's a Savior of you and me. He's our Savior. But he saves us from sin. Amen? Amen. Those of us who have received Jesus Christ by faith and know the tremendous weight lifted, the wonderful ability to come into the presence of God without fear of condemnation, knowing that our sins are forgiven, knowing that God has made us new creatures in Christ, that, that there's no more sense of, of distance, of punishment, of death, that we're saved. We're saved from 
sin. We're saved from the effect of sin. We're saved from the consequence of sin. That becomes, for the Christian person, such a, a, a gift. And we know it's a gift. It's a, it's a gracious gift. It's a merciful gift from God that we have through Jesus Christ that we treasure that above everything else that the world has to offer. Amen. And what is interesting, in a way, is that um, the world is looking for a Savior, but the world doesn't realize that it needs to be saved from sin. Do you know that? The world wants a Savior. Those who don't know Christ don't understand the, the wonderful gift that we have through Christ to be saved from our sin. A lot of the time, people want to be saved from fear. There's a lot of fear these days. Saved from poverty, saved from a bad government, saved from a bad marriage, saved from uh, sickness, saved from war, saved from just the, the weight and the, the sickness of the world. Like, there's something needs to change, I think, and I don't think that I'm alone in this, but I think that most people, if not all people, understand there's something wrong with the world. It needs to change. It needs to be better than it is. And here's my belief, is that most, if not all, the people who are still in their sin have not received Christ, are longing for and wishing for the world to change and have really no idea that sin is a problem. That it seems like, and I'm assuming the perspective of people that I used to be one of these, okay? As did most, if not all of us, right? I didn't know my sin was a problem. I thought it was God's standard was too high or religious people are too legalistic and their moral values are just outdated and antiquated and irrelevant and uh, it just seems like all, all these rules that people want to follow that trying to control things and it's, it, what, it's not really necessary that, you know, I'll take care of me, you take care of you and let's just get over, you know, the differences that we have about how we're supposed to live our lives. And, and so people are lost in sin. They have no concept that their sin is actually destroying their life. It is what is destroying the world and is what keeping us from a close relationship with God. They have no idea. Until the Word of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, begins to weave its way ever so subtly into a person's heart, and they recognize that it's not just the sin of the world that needs to be corrected, but it's my sin. It's not just that the world is far from God, but I'm personally far from God. I need a Savior. And as soon as that light comes on and the Holy Spirit draws that person and they respond to it by faith, then we begin to understand the power of a Savior. And he will come again and correct all the other things that we've talked about. He will solve war once and for all. He will put away sickness once and for all. He will 
He will heal sadness eternally. But he's a savior of sinners because he's a merciful savior. Because when he comes again, it's going to be coming in judgment. But now he came in grace and mercy. So he's the Savior. He's Christ, which the word means anointed one. And in the Old Testament, there were basically two people that were anointed. Um, kings were anointed for, for their kingly uh, appointment. But uh, primarily, the anointing was for priests. Okay? And they were anointed on their head, their hands, and their feet, and they were specially consecrated and set apart for priestly duty. And so Jesus, as the anointed one, yes, he's king. We'll get to that in a second. But first, he is high priest forever, which means that in order for somebody who is not from the line in the tribe of, of Levi to be priest, he has to be a priest in a, of a different order. The, the book of Hebrews talks all about this. He has to come from a different order. He comes from the line in the order of Melchizedek, which means that in order for there to be a new priestly line like this, the high priest, an eternal high priest, it means that the old priesthood has to be basically abolished or put away or done with. And he becomes the high priest forever. So he's going to go to the right hand of the Father and he's going to mediate between human beings and his Father eternally, which means that you and I no longer need a human being to mediate for us between our relationship and God. He's high priest forever. He's the anointed one. He came to be the high priest forever to take that place, and never again should another human being take that place. You can go directly to God, and you're invited to, and you are, dare I say, required to. Nobody can go to God for you. We can intercede for each other in prayer, but nobody can go to God for you. When you stand before the Lord, you stand before the Lord yourself based on your faith, what you did. Not your parents, not your grandparents, not somebody else's, not your pastors, not your Sunday school teachers. Nobody else's faith is going to get you into the presence of God. You have to step into that. And you are graciously allowed to because Jesus Christ is the anointed one. He's the high priest forever. He is called Lord, and that means he is ruler and king. And we talked a little bit about that last night, but the reality here is that he is the rightful owner of the world, his creation. And I'm going to say even more importantly, he is the rightful ruler of your life. And here's what's, <laughs> this is weird to me, okay? He's a strange kind of Lord. I mean, really, you think about Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. He's so merciful and gracious and humble and gentle that he will forgive you as many times as you sin against him. If you go to him a hundred times a day and say, God, please forgive me, he'll forgive you every time. He's patient. He does not want to destroy us. He wants to welcome us into a loving, permanent relationship with himself. And he's constantly renewing us day by day by the power of his Holy Spirit and the word of God. He's, he's constantly working with us, wanting for us to achieve the maturity that he made us to have. And 
never giving up on us until we achieve it. No matter how many times we go back, no matter how many times we cycle through and how many times we unlearn things and need to re relearn things and try to reapply things and step away for a while and step back into that relationship, he's always graciously saying, I, I'm still here and I still care for you and I'm still willing to be your Lord. It, it's a, he's, he's not like any Lord you've ever known or heard of. No other ruler would do that. It's the, the graciousness of our Lord that he says, I own you. And yet, I'm such a gentleman, I'll let you come to me as you will. I knock. If you open the door, I'll come in. But I won't barge in to your life. What kind of a Lord is this? This is amazing. And, and here's what we learn from that is that because he is this kind of a Lord, he deserves our love. He, he's worthy of it. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? It, you want to serve him. And here's what I uh, was thinking about in terms of this is that, um, you know, Christians, a lot of times we, as you grow, mature, learn, follow, um, become more, you know, in tune with, with God's Holy Spirit in your life, you, uh, you're not you're not obligated necessarily. I don't know if that's the right word. It's not like you feel an obligation to try to be better. You, you want to because of who he is. Not because you think I've got to earn this or try to be better so he'll accept me. It's just the more you know him, the more you want to please him. And the more you want to get your life to look more like Christ because of how much grace and, and mercy and love and peace that he offers, it's, it's not a legalism. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a requirement that you're trying to work yourself up to. It's, it's a relationship that, that you want to be worthy of. And I can't even, I can't explain it appropriately. It's just when people look at Christians, they think that they're holier than thou or trying to be too pure or they think they're they're perfect, and, and what I think is happening for some people is they're seeing this heart that actually desires to, to live in such a way that, that I actually do reflect Christ because of what he's done for me. And we don't always get that right. Sometimes we do fall into legalism. Sometimes we do fall into these traps of thinking I have to earn it, but that that's not what it's about. But he's, he's a Lord. He is your Lord. He wants to be your Lord. And so the angels sing about it. And uh, here's what they say. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Um, this isn't the best translation of that. Uh, there's a better translation in the ESV that talks about um, that we have favor with God because of we're pleasing to Him. And here's what happens when you put your faith in Jesus is that 
you actually have the ability to please God. So here's how it works. God came mercifully. He came graciously. He came humbly to provide salvation. And he says that his favor will rest on those who please him. How do you please God? There are a lot of things in in the Bible that, that it says about how you can please God. You can please him by obeying. You please him by doing good works. You can please him by uh, taking care of the poor. Uh, you can please him by taking care of widows and orphans, that these are good things to do. But here's one thing that it says in Hebrews. It says that there's one thing without which it is impossible to please God. It says it is impossible to please him unless you have this one thing. You know what it is? Faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. So if you do all the things that the Bible also says are pleasing to God, but you have no faith, are you really pleasing him? And here's the thing is that they may be good things, they may represent you know, God's character, but they don't ever put you in a position to earn any credit with God. You could... Be as moral as you possibly can be, but you can't be perfect. You can give all your money away to those in need, but you can't ever give enough. You can serve every day, all day long, but you can never serve your way into heaven. So he says there's one thing that without it, it's impossible to please God. You've got to have faith. You've got to put your faith in Jesus. And what happens when you do that, when you say, I trust Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, then all those acts of service and giving and generosity and and caring for people and love and forgiveness and restoration and everything else that we can possibly do, all those things become acts of worship. They become um, fragrant sacrifices to the Lord. They become things, and I think, you know, Revelation talks about it, that they become these little jewels in your crown. But you don't have a crown unless you have faith. And so at some point you have to say, here's all that I know. Here's all that I am. And I'm going to put them together into this place where I don't have all the answers, but I have at least enough to say, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. And this is where I start. And I might have to come back to that starting point over and over and over again and ask for salvation over and over and over again. I might have to ask for forgiveness a hundred times a day, but I'm going to keep doing that. And as I do that, what happens is, as Hebrews says, it's impossible to please him without faith because you must believe that he exists and he rewards those who what? You know it? Earnestly or diligently seek him. This is how we do it. I'm going to trust you. He says, even if it's just the mustard seed amount of faith, it'll move mountains. Why? Because it'll change your life. Just that much, just just that step. And it might not be a step of confidence. It might be a step of fear and doubt and uncertainty. It doesn't matter because it's not about the strength of your faith. It's about the strength of the one you're putting your faith in. 
And then he'll say, I'll change you. I'll, what, what, I, what you began, what I began in you, I'll work it out to completion. And here's what is interesting. I uh, went back and looked through Scripture to see how, how many times we see angels singing in uh, the Bible. Can anybody guess how many times it says the angels sing? It blew my mind. Three. <laughs> I know, it's weird. Three times. That's it. I'm not saying they don't sing all the time. They probably do. But the Bible only references three times where angels are singing at creation, according to Job, here, and then in Revelation. That's it. Hark means listen. I wonder if maybe the angels aren't said to be singing all the time because when we hear them sing, we better pay attention. And what is the song? Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth to men on whom his favor rests. Amen? Merry Christmas. Lord, we love you. We want to know you, we want to follow you, we want to serve you, we want to be known by you, we want to give you all the praise. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that you were willing to humbly come to be born in human likeness in order to pay for human sin to die a death that paid the price that, Lord, we don't have to pay. We couldn't pay if we wanted to. Even if we sacrificed ourselves in the most gruesome way, it wouldn't pay for our sin. You had to do it for us. We thank you that you were willing and that you did. And, Lord, we put our faith in you. We trust you. And now we say we are here. We're here for you to speak to, to come close to, to make your home with us. Lord, we're here to, to be used by you how you will, to be your witnesses, however you would guide us, wherever you would send us. Lord, we, we want to serve you, but we thank you that you set us apart. What a an amazing gift faith is. Even that, you said, is, is a gift that you give us. And Lord, we want to spend that gift. Spend it on those around us, Lord. It's one of those things that we can receive and then give, and we can never give it away enough. And so we pray that, Lord, this Christmas we would do that as we celebrate the birth of our Savior. We thank you for all the gifts that you give us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to just invite you this morning just to respond to the Lord if he is calling you. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation, which means that we're not promised tomorrow. We only have right now. If the Lord is calling you to respond to him by faith for the first time, we want to pray with you. We want to confirm that with you. We want to celebrate that with you, but
Um, nobody can do it for you. Amen? And so we're here to uh, celebrate what Jesus Christ is doing in your life. The altar is the stage. It's just a place for you to come and kneel for a moment if God is calling you. Let's stand and sing.